The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Eamon, now the final draft of the EU's AI, Artificial Intelligence Act, was uh, made available earlier this week. What's in the act? What does it mean for us? Well, I'm joined in studio by Barry Scannell, Senior Solicitor with William Fry's Technology Group and newly appointed member of the government's AI Advisory Council. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, what is this um, new act designed to do? Effectively, it's regulating how AI is going to operate within the European Union. And I think the important thing to consider when talking about the AI Act is that it's actually a piece of product regulatory legislation. So anything that carries the CE mark, the AI Act, is going to be quite similar. So So do we have to do anything or once it's passed in the European Parliament, is that it? We just obey the rules? Yeah, it's a regulation, kind of like the GDPR was a regulation. So regulations under EU law have direct effect on member states. Now, we might pass our own transposing legislation, but... We don't have to. We don't have to, no. We'll still be bound by these rules. Okay, there are a number of elements to this. There are some AI systems which are absolutely prohibited. What are they? So... Emotional recognition systems within the workplace or in education, other than ones that are required for medical purposes, they're actually going to be prohibited under the AI Act. Give me an example of what you mean there. So if you had cameras on your employees or if you're, you've got cameras here and if that you had a camera saying, oh, Pat, Pat seems to be um, feeling sad today, uh, if you had an AI system that was able to do that, that would be considered um a high risk, a prohibited system rather uh, under emotion recognition. It's it's AI systems that are able to infer emotions uh, based on biometric information. So that could be your facial expressions, the sound of your voice. Other things are AI systems that use subliminal or hidden techniques to manipulate your decision making that could cause um, bad outcomes for you or that could um, manipulate your emotions as well. So it's it's kind of the more nefarious yeah. science fiction types. Um, what about, say, AI in diagnostics, for instance? Is that, will that be permitted? Yeah, it will be. Um, so basically the AI Act is divided into high-risk activities and also AI, which is safety components in regulated products. So you have... Um, amongst regulated products, medical devices and medical diagnostic devices. So insofar as AI makes part of a safety component of medical devices or medical diagnostic devices, then that will be considered high risk, but it won't be prohibited. It'll be regulated then? Yeah, yeah. Now, these are already regulated and they'll be further regulated Mm. under the AI Act. Um, We played a clip earlier in the programme, in my introduction to the programme, talking about in America determining whether a prisoner deserves parole. AI doing the job, uh, the heavy lifting, the analysis and all the rest, instead of people. Yeah, and we've, it's, it's really crazy to be reading the legislation, looking at what's being regulated, because previously you'd have only read about it in science fiction. Like the, I'm always reminded of the film Minority Report, where they're able to you know, arrest people for crimes they haven't even committed yet. And that's actually in the AI Act, that you're not going to be able to use AI to assess the likelihood of whether somebody's going to commit a crime. Okay, uh, the the idea that uh, you have someone who has a penchant for robbing jewellery stores, uh, and they're probably likely to do it again, but you're not allowed to arrest them to prevent them robbing the the jewellery store you just have to let them do it and then <laughs> incarcerate yeah, I, them. I think that's part of the problem and you probably don't need AI a lot of the time for that either. 
Yeah. Um, so the, the, that question of absolutely prohibited uh, systems, reading your emotions, using uh, things to predict your behaviour and therefore maybe hiring or firing you. Yeah, so the hiring or firing would come in under high-risk activities. So the use of AI within the workplace um, for performance monitoring, for recruitment, that's going to be considered um, as high-risk AI. But one of the other prohibited systems would be uh, the use of AI by law enforcement, except in very, very limited circumstances. And this is something that's interesting given the conversation around facial recognition technology being used by the Guardi here. Yeah. Uh, so in what circumstances does it allow that kind of um, real-time facial recognition? I, I presume, uh, you know, going through a database uh, n- not in real time is not as problematic as real time facial recognition. Yeah, what what we're talking about when it's prohibited is it's the, the terminology is real time uh, remote biometric identification. So that's where it's happening live and it's and it's spying on you exactly. Basically. People CCTV. walking down the street or just having access again, like the movies, just having access to all the CCTV all around the place. Because I mean, in normal criminal investigations, uh, presumably it'll be on a computer these days, but it would have before been in some sort of a, uh, a loose binder. Loads of pictures of the ne'er do wells, and uh, you've got to pick out the guy you thought you saw mugging the woman down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And you know anybody watching. Crime Watcher, Crime Line will have seen the CCTV videos, but now it's going to be live. And if if a crime is reported, but it's only specific crimes and very serious crimes, and also it will need judicial oversight. So you're talking about getting something like a warrant to to put this into play, um, and 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 some of the time as well. It, could maybe be related to locating the victim of a kidnapping or something like that, where it can be used as well. And, or if and there's an act of terror that is suspected and uh, there's someone who is probably behind it, you might be allowed to scour the CCT footage in real time to find that person. Exactly, but the, the circumstances have been very limited. But it has to be said that some civil liberties groups are saying that it's actually going too far. Let's talk about then general purpose AI. I mean, it's already used in in so many ways. We don't even know it's being used a a lot of the time. Uh, For instance, in uh, people's applications, you uh, advertise a fabulous job and there's 10,000 applications and people use AI to screen them out. Yeah, that's happening all the time. And, you know, there's, you know, a lot of HR technology and software at the moment has AI components and something that we experience with clients is that they might have the impression that, oh, sure, we're only subscribing to the software, we're only using it, we're not captured. But users of the technology as well will also have obligations under the AI Act. It's not just the people who are developing the software. Yeah. So this is something that's going to be a real big issue for organizations potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, deep fakes, what's the rule? So deep fakes, um, you're going to have to make sure that people are aware that it's a deep fake. So one of the ways suggested in the legislation is watermarking. So, you know, like if you ever see a stock photo, it might have the watermark of the company behind it. So there might have to be a watermark. Or if I'm sent a, a movie to watch, for example, in advance of its release, there will often be a watermark on it so that I can't copy it. And and the watermark may even say Pat Kenny on it. Yeah, no. exactly. Or for confidential documents and things like that. However, where it's for... Clearly for satirical uses, um, as one example, it doesn't have to be watermarked, you know, to the extent that it'll interfere with whatever the artistic purpose is, but it still needs to be identified as being a deepfake. 
And now the the question of um, what we need to do here, you mentioned that these rules will apply very much like GDPR or the CE mark, uh, but you're on the AI Advisory Council. Uh, So in that, uh, you know, you've been speaking in your uh, capacity, personal capacity prior to this. What's your role in the, the new council? So I'm one of the members um, of the Advisory Council. There's 14 um, members and the Advisory Council has three main roles. The first role is advising the government on AI issues. Uh, The second role is creating its own work programme for developing, you know, issues and addressing those issues. And then the third role is, um, I guess, demystifying AI and having public engagement in relation to AI and, and helping give a better understanding in, in relation to AI. Yeah. Now, in terms of the positives of AI, because we're always hearing about the negatives, you know, the possible downsides and how we're heading to, towards perdition with AI. But uh, I, I mentioned it's already used quite extensively in our normal lives and we're not even aware of it. What are the, the, the common positive uses of AI? So we're kind of more inclined to talk about the negatives, um, especially when it comes to legislation. But AI is going to be an overwhelmingly transformative and positive technology. I mean, even if you look at something like medical, um, the, the medical arena, what they're doing with AI at the moment is they're one of the things that pharmaceutical companies are using AI for is to discover new drugs. So protein folding is a specific way that proteins fold and mm-hmm. it's very, very difficult for humans to figure out because it's so complex. But they're using AI now um, to create new types of protein folding to create completely new drugs that we would never have discovered by ourselves. Um, even in diagnostics, I mean, let's say some cancers, you can't do a blood test for X cancer. But if you test enough people's blood samples and then you start picking out little patterns that a human person wouldn't ever be able to do because there might be too many yeah. The AI can do that. So I think it's going to have a really transformative and positively transformative effect in society. But there are drawbacks that we need to account for and mitigate. I mean, if you're in a self-driving car, is that using AI or is that just using its cameras and its you know, fairly straightforward diagnostics to drive that car? Or is it making a judgment? There's a child. Oh, no, it's a cat. I can carry on. Yeah, Um so I think uh, the likes of Tesla and the full self-driving, which I think is in beta mode, it's it's not fully out there yet. There, we don't have fully autonomous yet, even though the capability is almost there. But I think we're still a little bit far away. I mean, there was from, a taxi uh, company in California that had to be shut down because it couldn't recognize children, it turned out. Yeah. And it's going to be really problematic. And the really interesting part is, is that let's say if you're in a car and it hits someone and it was in self-driving mode, like who's, who's responsible there? Whose insurance is paying out? Is, yeah. it, is it a product defect? Do you sue the car company or is it the person behind the, the wheel? So it's, it's a really interesting dynamic that's been created. Now, these AI things, whether it's ChatGTP or, or uh, any of the others or GPT or any of the other AI systems, they're, what are they called? Uh, large, large language, language models. models. Um, and the New York Times is quite upset at the training of these large la- language models because it used a lot of the New York Times output. Yeah, and it's one of the, the biggest issues that certainly William Fry that we're experiencing um, is the intellectual property concerns and issues that are being created. So these large language models need to be trained on vast, vast amounts of data. Now, to give you an idea of how much data we're talking about, I mean, 
next year it's predicted will be producing 181 zettabytes of data. What that means in real terms is that every 15 minutes we'll be creating as much data as all of human civilization did up to the year 2003. So the generative pre-trained transformer, the GPT in ChatGPT, that was first written about in 2017 in a Google research paper. Yeah. And it's only possible, it's only able to exist by being trained on vast, vast amounts of data. And you're talking about, you know, an archive of the entire internet. Uh, you're talking about um, the entire, you know, back catalogue of, of, of companies in terms of what data is out there. So... When the AI systems are hoovering up all this data and doing all this training and learning, there will be a lot of copyright material captured there. And the New York Times are claiming that OpenAI has, without their consent, taken all of their New York Times articles and used the New York Times articles to train OpenAI. And as a result of that, they're saying that the articles can be regurgitated. But OpenAI are coming along and they've said, well, actually... That's a bug in the system. It's 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 only something that can happen in very specific circumstances. And um, they're arguing that it's fair use, which is an American doctrine under copyright mm. law. So it'll be really interesting to see how that case progresses. OK, so they're saying that it's highly unlikely that uh, chat GPT would uh, regurgitate a review of Hamilton on Broadway. Highly unlikely. You see, if you have one article... AI, the, the likes of LLMs like ChatGPT, they're statistical. So if it's only ever looked at one article and there's one article of its kind in existence, and if you feed 75% of that article later, statistically, it's going to, it's only got one example from which to reproduce. Mm. So it's only, you know, normally it's, it's got millions and millions of documents, so it's never really going to infringe so on anything. So if someone in a, a regional newspaper printed the only review of the play in the parish hall... Uh, in Ballon the Slow. And there is someone who's in a college class asked to, to write a, you know, a theoretical thing about a play in Ballon the Slow. That article will appear. Not will, but potentially. And <laughs> OpenAI um, are saying that this is a bug that is being addressed and it's against the terms of service. But never mind the article in, in Ballon the Slow. What about if you're in a company and you feed in confidential contracts? or confidential information to And there it. will only be maybe one of those. And that's a, that's a potential danger that a lot of organisations are concerned about. And that's why companies want to, I guess, ring-fence their data when it comes to these systems. All right, so the, this business of connectivity and, you know, everything is connected to everything else, sometimes you've got to silo it and make sure it's not connected to everything else. Yeah, and there's new research coming out from the likes of Apple, for example, where they're figuring out how to get these large language models and compress them enough so you can have them locally on your phone. So you can have the entire knowledge of the world and an, kind of like <sighs> Star Trek on your phone. And that, that technology, we're getting really close to it. Yeah, but um, the problem is, uh, obviously, if it's not there, it's going to be in a data center. And even the learning uh, for these large language models is going to consume huge amounts of energy. Yeah, and and a lot of the CEOs involved in AI are even commenting on it. It's a dealt with in the AI Act. So if a, if a general purpose model has a high impact, one of the high impacts is going to be its impact on energy usage. But they're, they're using phenomenal amounts of, of, of electricity and energy to be able to process it because, you know, if you're talking about compute power, and yeah. something like GPT-4, it's, it's measured in flops, these 
it's a technical term, floating point operations for compute power. But it's basically you're talking something like a million, billion, billion um, operations uh, in terms of the technology. So, so if I was to ask a question, and I did, I asked it to, to write a poem to celebrate the anniversary of uh, GPT, and it did in literally five seconds, I suppose. How much energy might that process, my inquiry, have used? I, I wouldn't be able to, to, to say for that, but it's not only that type of processing, but actually the training the pre-trained aspect of it, that's where the massive amounts of, of energy are being used. And I guess another side of it is um, a potential taking time bomb is that you've got the likes of America where AI outputs are not protected by copyright. And the United States have said that now. But a lot of organisations, I read last night actually, that apparently 42% of the code that's on the GitHub code repository is created by AI. So and that's not protected by copyright? Under current... U.S. status quo, it's not protected by copyright, no. What an extraordinary new world we have entered. Barry, thank you very much for joining us. Barry Scandal is Senior Solicitor with William Fry's Technology Group and newly appointed member of the government's AI Advisory Council. Barry, thanks a million. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.